Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. I pray that you and your loved ones are doing well in this difficult time. I pray for our frontline workers and for everyone facing economic hardship right now. What a mess. I hope you're able to find some peace in our Lord and that Veritas is able to help you too. There's a lot going on right now, but may I please ask you to consider making a gift to help Veritas continue bringing Catholic programming to you? You can help at www.veritascatholic.com. Thank you so much. Today is the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, and on today's episode of Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano will talk about that amazing apparition, as well as some of the other places that Mary has appeared. And thank you to our weekly sponsor, the Knights of Columbus Museum in New Haven, which has been hosting educational webinars while they've been closed to the public. In fact, I attended an online presentation of Marian iconography just last Thursday, and it was fascinating and beautiful. And there's another talk tomorrow from Father Paul Lanyou about the Ukrainian custom of painted eggs. Attending is as easy as visiting the Knights of Columbus Museum Facebook page or the Veritas Catholic Network Facebook page. You can go to either one and find a link to join. Hey everybody, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. It is my great pleasure to introduce the excellent Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency. It's always good to be with you. Always good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, likewise, of course. Um, so today is the anniversary of the incredible apparition of Mary at Fatima. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. uh, we'll spend some time talking about that. And then afterwards, mm -hmm. um, in the second segment, of course, we'll touch on some other Marian apparitions. Before mm -hmm. we dive into Fatima, Excellency, can we uh, start by talking about quickly the difference between private revelation and public revelation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, th that's a great, great starting point. First of all, Fatima has a very dear place in my heart because my mother had tremendous devotion to Our Lady of Fatima. And there are some stories I'd like to relate, you know, if our conversation goes in that direction of how Our Lady was very merciful to my mother, in the, particularly as she was dying from, from lung cancer. But um, intervention, divine interventions in life are not as uncommon as people think. In fact, they happen to all of us in different ways. God is always speaking to us and revealing his presence to us. So is Our Lady. Sometimes it takes the form where it is unmistakable of what's going on. And they are always offered for our personal spiritual benefit, for our own personal spiritual well-being, if you are the recipient of it. So the private revelations that occur are not necessarily meant for public dissemination, but for the sake, the spiritual sake of the person, versus public revelation, where if there is an apparition such as Fatima, the message is meant to be disseminated to the larger world. There's a spiritual lesson given to everyone. So the person who receives it, in this case, the three visionaries are receiving it not only for their own sake, but for the sake of the world. And therefore, they are important and they need it to be attended to by believers because there's some important spiritual lessons and challenges to be learned. And Fatima is certainly one of them. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, you, you teased us a little bit, um, but mm -hmm. I, would, I would love mm -hmm. to hear about, uh, you know, your mother and her connection to Our Lady of Fatima. Sure, of course, of course. Um, 
My mother was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2009. The diagnosis was given on the Feast of the Guardian Angels of all days. And prior to that, a few years prior to that, my mother had her own experience with Our Lady that she had never shared with me. But she told me the story. This was after the diagnosis. We were having coffee. And my mother loved coffee and Entenmann's cake. So that's all we had. Nine, ten o'clock at night. It's just like a ritual, <laughs> right? And um, it, out of the blue, she said to me, now, you know, Our Lady has appeared in different ways. I said, yes, she has, of course. And what is... What is, what does Our Lady look like? And she went on to describe, what, what lady is that? And I said to her, I said, it's Our Lady of Fatima. And then she, she was very quiet and she said, well, you know, she's come to speak to me. I said, what are you talking about? She said, a few years ago, I was awake praying the rosary and I looked up and in my bedroom in the corner, there was this lady exactly as I described it to you. Wow. And she said to me, without moving her lips, she said to me, what are you afraid of? You are to come to visit me. And she said, I wasn't sleeping. I saw what I saw and I heard what I heard, but I never quite understood what that meant. She says, now my heart tells me it is time for us to go. Wow. So I took my mother to Fatima twice, um, right after, as I mentioned, and then three months before she died. And if I may just, the other piece to this story is, as you know, there is the evening celebration of candle, a candlelight procession at Fatima, similar to what happens at Lourdes. And when I went with my mother, and my sister, in fact, was with us, that I did not make it known that I was a bishop. So I wore a collar, but I brought no Episcopal insignia because I wanted to spend time with my mother in prayer, not necessarily, you know, leading the prayer, as important as that is. Right. So we were sitting in the very last row in that little chapel that is in Fatima, you know, where the Blessed Lady is there, the statue is there. And as you know, the, the procession originates from there. Anyway, as the statue leaves and the celebrants, the priests leave, the ushers grabbed the three of us and put us into the procession. Hmm. So as we begin to leave the chapel, you can imagine that in the Piazza of Fatima, which is huge, there are all of these people holding candles, almost forming an honor guard. And right behind the priests are myself and my mother and my sister and others. But we were at the front of it. And as we're walking around, it was one of the most beautiful spiritual experiences, a sense of deep peace, deep peace for me. And my mother was crying through the whole thing. I was just magnificent. And when it was all over, my mother turned to me. She said, now I have glimpsed with my own eyes what heaven will be like. Wow. And I realized then that Our Lady had asked my mother to come so that she could give her that taste of peace in the odyssey that she was going to begin. And then we went back again, right before she died, a few months before she died. 
And if I may just share one other story. And because my mother had a difficult time, you know, getting up and particularly towards the end, I went to, I would go to the Basilica earlier and just pray. And I was struck. It was very early in the morning. The sun had just risen. And as you know, in the Piazza Fatima, there is like this marble path that goes from one end to the other. And many times people in penance pray the rosary on their knees, walking it from one end to the other. And there's the image. Piazza completely empty. There is a young man, maybe in his 30s, holding a little child in his hand. And next to him was, I presume, his wife, with whom he was holding her hand. And they were praying the rosary. And I thought to myself, now, this is faith. This is surrender to Our Lady's protection. This family is entrusting themselves to, to the Lady of this place in an act of tremendous repentance for a father who's on his knees. And I thought to myself, there is no textbook, no catechism, no CCD work, nothing that's gonna teach this young little child faith more powerfully than this father and mother's example right here at Fatima about repentance and the importance of prayer and the rosary, right? It's just remarkable. It's just, I find Fatima to be a remarkable place, not only because of how Our Lady was so good to my mother, but how she has been good to all the pilgrims, millions of them, with simple messages of what? Repentance, conversion, penance, prayer and the rosary, to pray for peace, for the conversion of the world, for the conversion of Russia. I mean, these are fundamental issues for any believer. Yeah. Yeah, that's... What a way to start <laughs> the, the yeah. segment. Yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> and let me tell you something else that I've been thinking about preparing for this podcast. I mean, the three visionaries, right? Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta, two of them died. When did they die? In the pandemic of the Spanish flu. Yeah, a year later. Uh, right. And a hundred years later, we're in our own pandemic. So it seems to me, Fatima has to be something we return back to. Right? Our Lady was preparing the world for what was going to happen. And I believe she's preparing us now in this terrible time with the same lessons. It's the yeah. same message. Mm -hmm. So in order to return back to Fatima, uh, let's, mm -hmm. let's talk about what happened there uh, in 1917. Well, Our Lady appeared six times to mm -hmm. these three young children. They really were children, right? Lucia and her cousins, who was brother and sister, Francisco and Jacinta. And they tell us in their memoir, Lucia in particular, that they were visited by what they call the Angel of Peace prior to Our Lady's apparition. And Our Lady's apparitions occurred over the few months from, I guess it was from May to October. And it ended with the miracle of the sun, where there were hundreds of thousands of people who were present there. And I think it's fair to say, to the extent that their eyes were open because of faith, witnessed a miraculous uh, transportation of the sun to the point where after a major rainstorm, their clothes and the land was literally miraculously dried instantaneously. 
But again, that miracle is not magic. Okay. A lady doesn't waste time with magic. She's got more important things to do. But it is to teach. It is to teach. What's to teach? To teach is that which you see is not the fullness of the truth. The fullness of the truth sometimes escapes the visible eye, but will for force the visible eye to learn what the invisible spiritual eye needs to recognize, which is the overwhelming presence of God's grace, where the heavens and the earth obey him, because it's all meant to bring us to salvation, which cannot happen unless there is repentance, unless there is conversion, which cannot happen unless we devote ourselves both to seek forgiveness of our sins and to pray, and to pray. So the rosary is central to Fatima. And the rosary is a simple prayer that children can pray. So when we get old and sophisticated and jaded, right? We go, Jesus said, be like the children. It's not complicated to go back to the simple prayer where Our Lady is the jumping off point to help us to reflect on the mysteries of her son's life. You know, a lot of a lot has been said about the promises, or the uh, the secrets, I should say, of Fatima, right, and the three secrets. And I must confess, I think they are important. But I think they obscure at times, especially what goes on in social media and all the stuff that goes on in social media about, right? Um, it obscures why they were given. And now that the church has said they have all been revealed, what are the lessons to be learned? Well, if the first secret was a vision of hell, then the truth revealed or reinforced or to be brought to mind is that there is a hell. There is a judgment. What we do matters. Yeah. And Our Lady, as a good mother, like your mother and my mother, set us straight. She's come to set us straight because there are consequences to what we do and how we live. So that's the first. The second is Our Lady asks for devotion to her Immaculate Heart. And she predicted the end of the First World War, but she warned that there would be even a greater war if mankind did not cease to offend God. And she asked for the first Saturday devotions to her so that we could convert, because prayer is meant to dispose our minds and hearts to hear the truth so that the truth could reflect back on our behavior and conform it more to the truth, right? So it's the beginning of the conversion process. And to seek the consecration of, of Russia as well, right? Which is, um, again, some people debate whether it happened or not. Lucia herself said she was satisfied that John Paul, St. John Paul II did consecrate Russia and the right. world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And then of course the third is the secret that was supposed to be revealed in 1960 was actually revealed in the year 2000, which speaks of almost this apocalyptic vision of the death of not only the Pope, but many archbishops, bishops, and devout people right. who are climbing this mountain. 
You know, in my mind, I see that as you're climbing the mountain of Calvary. You're going to be one with the Lord in sacrifice of life, right, for the truth. And of course, John Paul himself was nearly killed being shot, as we know. Um, so everything that happened in Fatima has a, has a teaching value to it. It's a, it's a spiritual reinforcement for us of the essentials of, of Christian life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, almost, it's almost more um, amazing when you consider that, like you said, they were children. So they were six, seven, and nine. And mm-hmm. they were poor shepherds out in the countryside of Portugal. They had no idea what was going on in the geopolitical world at the time. Correct. And yet they, right. they, they were given these... Um, these teachings uh, from mm-hmm. Our Lady, um, mm-hmm. they probably had no idea mm-hmm. what they were talking about, but, uh, but it makes it more, that much mm-hmm. more amazing. Mm-hmm. But why children then? It's an interesting question. Why children? Why not great, you know, faithful bishops or faithful priests or faithful religious or faithful adult lay people? Why children? Yeah, why? Why, why? Children? Excellency. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Good Shepherd Sunday, I gave a homily. Um, And I spoke about offhanded comments and compliments. And when the Lord calls himself the shepherd and calls us sheep, one could take that as as much of an insult as it is a compliment because sheep are not the cleanest, not the brightest animals in the kingdom. But they do, like children, share one quality. They trust. And when they trust, they're fiercely loyal. And, they, and we're born with an innate trust. And then we lose it because of our stubbornness and pride and sinfulness. And then we have to relearn it as adults in our spiritual journey to trust the Father again. These little children had no guile. They trusted what they saw. Mm-hmm. And they were fiercely loyal to whom they encountered in a way that quite frankly, many of us who are adults don't do as, as uh, uh, a convincing and compelling and authentic way. We don't do it the same way. And therefore like sheep and they are right shepherd, they were shepherd and shepherdesses in their families. they took, they really were living examples of what the Lord said, let the children come unto me and do not hinder them. Um, and that's why Our Lady turned to Bernadette and Juan Diego and the three visionaries at Fatima because she could trust them. Yeah. And they trusted her. And they, and they remained loyal. Yeah. I mean, these little kids were thrown in jail. Do you remember that part of the story? Yes. Yep. Right. And and Bernadette was punished by her parents. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And they got caught up with this whole thing of the Republic of, of Portugal and, and the conservatives and the, reacting to it. And they were very secular and all the rest. And they thought that they were pawns. But it's crazy. All this stuff was, I mean, anybody with, with half a sense would know these seven-year-olds not going to be involved in geopolitical affairs. <laughs> That's another reason why Our Lady would choose them. Uh, Correct. You know, I just met if she 
if I received what I thought was a vision with a message, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I might be tempted to put my own spin on it and say, well, so therefore you need to go vote for this guy or, you know. Correct. Well, let me put you on the spot. You don't mind, do you? <laughs> right. How would you feel if somebody told you, you're not going to live too much longer? Yeah. I mean, the average person, I don't know what your reaction would be. The average person wouldn't say, oh, what great news. That's <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I've been waiting all day to hear that. <laughs> yeah. But did not our lady say that? Yeah. To Terrifying. Francisco and Jacinta? Yeah. Yeah. That they would go to heaven soon. And in fact, they did. And yet they remained faithful to her, to the apparitions, to the message. I mean, that's a sign of a person without guile, a person with faith. And you don't yes. have to be old or well-read or well-educated. We live in kind of like a fantasy world. Yeah. That the more educated you are, that the more you, are, you can be a, a committed believer. Well, that may be true, but it's not absolutely true because the, same, the opposite can happen too. So in every aspect of this, I find this just to be a remarkable um, inbreaking of grace yeah. for the world. And perhaps in this pandemic, as many people are perhaps have more time than they usually do to read, I would urge everyone who is on this podcast to go online and learn about Fatima. And if, if trying to do all the lessons Our Lady counseled may be too much to start, pick one of them and devote yourself to it. And I think tremendous fruit will come. And like my mother, as she began her odyssey with lung cancer, experienced a peace. Who not listening to us, Steve, is not looking for peace in such troubled and anxious times? Yeah where there's so much suffering around us. Our Lady will grant it. Our Lady will grant it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We should start, you know, so, yeah, and you talk about the takeaways from Fatima. I mean, the rosary is an obvious one. If you're already doing the rosary every day, uh, there's always room for more reparations for the conversions of sinners, um, things like that. The first Saturday devotions are yes. another. Mm -hmm. Frequent penance and conversion. I must tell you, for, I've gone to Lourdes a number of times with the Order of Fatima. And I know we're going to, to discuss Lourdes probably in a separate podcast because there's so much to talk about at Lourdes. It's just tremendous. <clears throat> and I've been to Fatima three times. And I must confess, you ca I personally can feel the different charisms at work. Hmm because Lourdes is much more a place that seeks healing, and rightfully so. Fatima, for me, has always been much more a place of penance and repentance mm. and quiet. It's much more of a self-introspective place. And therefore, they complement each other. Right, it, yes. it's not one or the other. So, like Our Lady does, she, she every 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 place she reveals her presence, she's giving us a lesson, and all the lessons become the manual, right? 
yeah. of good Christian living, like any good mother would do for her children. She's going to tell you all the things you need to do to, to, to be safe, to be healed, and one day to enter into glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for those listening, as you mentioned, you know, go back and, and read more about Fatima, especially the miracle of the sun, which, as you pointed out, Excellency, was, was viewed by up, up to 100,000 people Mm-hmm. Non-believers mm-hmm. and believers, and just amazing. Photos were taken, and yet a hundred yeah. years later, there's st- still questions from you know people who bring it up. But it's it was there. Well, it's a miracle. It is, yeah. But but like everything else, let's go back to the Gospels. Jesus performed many miracles. He he. They were the signs of the inbreaking of the kingdom. But the Gospels do not say that everyone came to belief because of them. Right. You know, the mind can rationalize anything, and if the heart is not disposed in faith, what you see as, what you will say is an act, an inbreaking of the power of God, one could say, oh, no, that's your imagination, you're hallucinating, I didn't see anything. Well, of course, you couldn't see anything because you're not open to see it. (laughs) (laughs) So when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I'm sure there were people saying, oh, that's all a trick. Yeah. Right? right, that guy was sitting there, probably had food and water, and now suddenly he comes out and he wants us to believe he raised the dead. Well, if you're not disposed in faith, then you miss it. Yes, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. You missed it. Not that it's not true. You missed it. That's the point. Amen. So yeah. at, at Fatima, many there were many who missed it, but in my humble opinion, to be frank. It's the problem wasn't the miracle. The problem was the person watching it. Yes. Yep. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break, Excellency, and then when we come back, we'll look at some of the other incredible visits from Jesus' Holy Mother Mary. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio. The folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Hey all, we are back on Let Me Be Frank. So Bishop Frank, we just talked about Fatima, one of the most well-known of the Marian apparitions. And there's so many to talk about. Um, so let's just mm-hmm. hit on a couple today. And uh, mm-hmm. maybe we'll start with Our Lady of Guadalupe. So tell us what happened there. Well, first of all, I have to say, it's it's in my bucket. It's on my bucket list to go to Guadalupe. I have wanted for the longest time, and please God, before I die, I will get to, to the Basilica. Our Lady Guadalupe, five apparitions to St. Juan Diego and to his uncle, one was to his uncle, Juan Bernardino, and it occurred in 1531. And I must confess, I find Our Lady of Guadalupe to be preeminently applicable to our own age for a number of reasons. Not simply because she revealed herself the miracle of the Castilian roses that Juan Diego was asked to bring to the bishop and when he dropped the roses on his tilma, which was that outer covering, appeared the image of Our Lady, which is now enshrined in the Basilica. 
But let's take a step back. Three points. First, Juan Diego was a native and he was poor. So, Our Lady did not turn to the educated or to the clergy or to the Europeans in the presence, but to those for whom this country was their home, then, right? Poor and uneducated. And if that has a predilection for Our Lady, then why would it not be for all believers to make sure that the poor are not forgotten? So that's number one. Secondly, she spoke in his native language. Now, there is a, a spiritual message that we need to understand that God makes himself accessible. And through Our Lady, the truth is accessible in ways people can understand it. And therefore, Our Lady speaking in that native language is in many ways a manifestation of Our Lady's graciousness and God's graciousness towards people. In other words, it's not meant to be hard to hear God's message. He speaks in our own language, in our ordinary ways, right? And Our Lady does that herself, right? Presenting the truth, which is her son's truth. And the third, and the most important in my mind, is that Our Lady appears in Guadalupe pregnant, Pregnant. To my understanding, and I could be wrong, it's the only apparition Our Lady has when she is with child. And the child, of course, is the savior of the world. Hmm. So it's all about life. It's all about the sanctity of life, the sanctity of the life she carries, who is life himself, the sanctity of Juan Diego, the sanctity of his uncle who was in his deathbed and who was miraculously cured. It's the sanctity of human life is at the very heart, I believe, of what is being taught to us in Guadalupe. Now, Steve, is there not a, a message that is needed now more than ever is the sanctity of life? Right, true. And not simply unborn life, because unborn life is at the top of the list, but it's not the only item on the list in the midst of this pandemic. Yes. The elderly and the frail and the sick, right, who have borne the brunt of the horrible effects of this coronavirus, um, they too need our love and protection. Yes. They're not expendable. They're not. Although you hear some in a, a grotesque way will say, well, you know, particularly some who are younger, well, it only affects old people. They're going to die anyway. Well, what, are you, what are you, insane? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, that... That should never come out of the mouth of a believer. Yeah. Right? So Our Lady, I think in this pandemic, but in the life of believers, right, this is absolutely essential. Right? A message to be taught to us. Yes. And it is one of the, it, one is the, it is, I think it's the third most visited religious site in the world. Oh, wow. In the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every morning... I pray the prayer that Our Lady gives, She gave, the message she gave to Juan Diego. It's at the back of my mother's funeral card. Okay. And one of the most famous lines is, am I not here who am your mother? Yeah. Okay. 
And I often think of that during the day when, you know, an issue comes up, a crisis comes up, and I could hear it in the back of my mind, am I not here who am your mother? What, what, what are you anxious about? Be anxious for nothing. Just do what you can to serve my son. Yeah. I, I love that because yeah, that, that line stands out, you know, because you're right. Juan Diego was running around. He was anxious about his uncle and about this and that. And then she just stopped him, just like you said. Am I not here? Mm -hmm. Your mother. Yeah, I love that. Right. Do not I hold you in the, in, the, in the folds of my arms? In the end, Juan Diego couldn't heal his uncle. Mm-hmm. But her son could. Mm -hmm. And anything Our Lady asks for, her son will give. I have no doubt that that's the case. Of the profound, almost indescribable connection Our Lord and Our Lady have. Mm -hmm. So how often do we turn to Our Lady, even in this pandemic? How often do we turn to Our Lady and ask, She's our example. She's our intercessor. She's our protector. Again, Guadalupe teaches us that the, those that the world forgets, God remembers. The ones that the world turns aside, Our Lady chooses. Those who become too sophisticated for their own good and forget how to trust are the ones that Our Lady trusts first. These are powerful spiritual lessons for us to Regardless of the apparitions, the spiritual lessons for us to ponder. Yeah. To always ponder. And, the, and the popes had tremendous devotion. John Paul had tremendous devotion to Our Lady Guadalupe. Huh. As did Benedict, as did probably the 12th, as did so many else of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then she left another sign. So like in Fatima, there was the miracle of the sun. Here we have the tilma, which has just been miraculous. The... Um, mm -hmm. the, the quality uh and the imprint of the image and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um the indestructibility of this tilma um right and also if i may add even more to that is even some of the scientific analyses with no uh, with no appearance of anything sketched on it mm -hmm. where in some places there are no strokes that any other a painting would have yes um right it, it would be inexplicable as to how this happened yeah yeah but if i may say this the point of guadalupe is not the miraculous tilma of course the point of guadalupe are the spiritual lessons right and sometimes we get wrapped up in the miracle the the, the mechanics of what's miraculous you know, inexplicable, that we get lost in that and we forget the spiritual lessons. You see some of that online where people just go on and on and on. But, but stop already. It's a spiritual <laughs> lesson that the lady came to give. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it, it, yes, you're right. And it is miraculous, all the different uh, aspects which could be looked up online about the Tilma. But um, what is the saying to, to those with uh, faith, no explanation is needed, but to those who don't believe, no explanation is, is sufficient. Well said. Amen. Mm -hmm. let's, um, Amen. Let's take a quick look um, at uh, uh, the first Marian apparition that happened here in the United States. 
um, and move on. This was in 1858, uh, and she is Our Lady of Good Help in Champion, Wisconsin. Can you tell us about yeah, that, Excellency? Well, I must confess, this is also on my bucket list, so my bucket list is getting longer and longer. I have not <laughs> been to the to the National Shrine here. Um, it it was an apparition that occurred in 1859 to a, a Belgian-born woman, Adele, and I hope I'm pronouncing the name last name correctly, Brice, B-R-I-S-E. And um, it really was an intervention of Our Lady to this very pious woman when she was young, um, relatively young. And Our Lady says to her, I am the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. And I wish you to do the same. Because she appeared twice. And at the third time, the priest said to her, in the name of God, ask the woman in the name of God, who are you and what do you wish? And then she says to this Adele that you are to gather the children in this wild country and teach them what they should know for salvation. And the shrine has developed over the years as a place of tremendous solitude and prayer and conversion, which are the elements that you need in a life that wants to take seriously the offer of salvation that comes in Jesus. So I'm, I'll please God one day. And it was just, it was Bishop Ricken, I think, not long ago, maybe less than 10 years ago, that actually pronounced its authenticity. Hmm. And it was made, I believe it was made a, a minor basilica, hmm. right? Or a national shrine. I think it was made a national shrine, I'm sorry, by the USCCB. But now, you know about the story of the fire. So tell us the story of the fire. Yeah, okay. So, and I don't know a ton, um, and I would... I would love to go there as well. It's uh, on my bucket list too. So um, so this woman, Adele, she had been spending years traveling around by, on foot for, uh, to teach catechism to the children of the area uh, for a radius of 50 miles. And in, on October 8th, 1871, um, so this is, uh, I think it's 12 years almost to the day that she received the apparition. Mm -hmm. um, it, there was the Pestigo and Chicago fires, which uh, ended up destroying an area nearly the size of, I think it was about the size of the state of Rhode Island and taking uh, mm -hmm. about 2,500 lives. And apparently the winds driving it were so fierce that the fire actually jumped the bay, which is a span of about five miles. And, and continued on uh, in its path of destruction. So the people uh, in, in this area who lived near the, the chapel, they had built a little wooden chapel with a little wooden fence around it and some grass you know, in between and then the, the, in the middle of these woods. And so the people who lived near the chapel all rushed to the chapel and began praying uh, for uh, Mary's protection. And they... they came out of the chapel the next day, so October 9th, which was the day, that the anniversary of her, of her apparition, and there was torrential rain that had fallen. It extinguished the fire, and um, everybody inside the chapel was safe. The grass on the grounds inside the, the fencing was perfectly green, 
and on the other side of the fence, it was completely charred and the woods all around them were, were burned. It was like the fire skipped right over the chapel and the grounds. Right, 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 right. And one could say the sign given is once one is in the fold, meaning once one enters into a serious relationship with the Lord and seeks his guidance and his grace and his protection in a spirit of conversion to live the truth, then you will be okay. You will be okay. Yes. And Our Lady's the bridge to that. Right. It's a beautiful story. It's amazing. So, please God, one day to go. As, please God, one day I want to go to Medjugorje, which is a whole nother place. So let's... Um, not sure with controversy, huh? Yeah, let's let's talk about Medjugorje um, then, mm -hmm. because it, it, it is uh, the people who, who um, believe in it are fiercely mm -hmm. devoted to it. And yet mm -hmm. there are some, um, some questions about that, uh, mm -hmm. that ongoing apparition. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. tell us, Excellency, how should, how should we approach something like that? And then tell us about Medjugorje. Yeah, I, I think, well, I am not an expert in the details of Medjugorje, to be very honest, insofar as I know there's a lot has been written, a lot exists about, uh, you know, uh, controversial points and things that have been studied and things that remain uh, unresolved. But let me just begin by saying this. Pop used to say, good trees produce good fruits. And um, actually, he kind of looked at my sister and I and wondered to himself, well, what happened to the tree? But that's a whole other story. <laughs> but, and and um, so you look at Medjugorje, apart from all the details, the spiritual fruits are undeniable. Yes. The conversions, the confessions, the vocations that have come out of Medjugorje are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. So something good is happening in Medjugorje. Now, having said that, you know, there are some controversies with the visionaries and Our Lady appearing to them even when they travel in different parts of the world, which would be first but it's not to say it is untrue it's just first that it would extend over many 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 years right um so i know the church is studying it i know pope francis had set up uh, an investigation rumor is that investigation is complete what the fruit of that is i do not know um so people have asked me Bishop, will you go to Medjugorje? And my response is, yes, of course I'll go. It's on my bucket list. Yes, I will go when, when time allows because I could see the fruit of what is going on. And again, it's no different than the other Marian apparitions, right? Because what is it? It's conversion and repentance, right? It's confession and seeking holiness of life. It's prayer, right? Oftentimes, in this case too, the recitation of the rosary. And it's asking people with the grace that Christ gives to make a choice of which, what do you want to do with your life? 
right? So Lucia became uh, uh, consecrated, right? She, in, in Fatima, she went into religious life. Uh, so what do you do going there? What is the Lord asking of you? And that's why these vocations that are coming from Medjugorje, uh, people are using the opportunity to truly make a committed choice. So there's tremendous good going on there. And I leave it to church authorities with a higher pay grade than I ever could have to guide us in that. So, yeah, I think, and again, in a war-torn part of the world, and um, it seems so consistent with so much else that Our Lady has done over, over, over the centuries. Yeah. Have you been to Medjugorje, Steve? I have not, and um, I'm probably going to get a bunch of hate mail for what I'm about to say, <laughs> but uh, but I I will be frank. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Uh, I have um, an ongoing um, debate with a dear dear friend who I love, who is a very good priest in our diocese, and he. So my my position has been that um, I don't. I, I will not, I, I don't want to go to Medjugorje at this moment, um, only because, um, you know, I, I, there was this disobedience to the local bishop there, and um, the visionaries were not the same sort of innocent that we've t been talking about. And then there's problem with, in my opinion, with uh, some of the things that they've seen. Um, but he comes back to me with what you said, which is, look at the fruits Long lines for confession, lots of conversions, and I can't argue with that. So um, I haven't been. Maybe I'll go one day, uh, but um, I just I haven't yet. To, to me, I guess my personal opinion is there's so many um, apparitions that have been approved by the local bishops and by the, the Holy See that I could stay away for the time being from Medjugorje and Garabandal and Conyers, Georgia, and whatever else. Um, right, right. No, and it's a point very well taken. It's an excellent point. I, I, for my part, am hoping and praying that we will receive something definitive from Rome to settle the question so that, you know, a, a good man like you and others who will be listening who may have qualms, and rightfully so for all the reasons that you mentioned, will have some definitive response, whether those qualms are justified or not. Right. But like everything else in the church, um, the church is the custodian of the truth precisely because it takes a great deal of time to discern. Yes. Right. And in this case, because of the fruits and because there may not be clarity in some other issues, the church needs to wait for Our Lady herself to make it clear. Right? And that will come. Yeah. That will come. Yeah. So certainly on my bucket list, highest on the list is to go to Guadalupe, without a doubt. Yes. Awesome. Uh, I guess, uh, and there's so many. We'll do Lords uh, on it, on its own show, especially since oh, uh, you've been there yes, with Malta. Absolutely. And, um, oh, you know, yeah. so many cool ones. What a ones. remarkable place. Yeah. What a remarkable place. I'll give you a preview, though. I've not yet gone into the baths. Okay. At Lords. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a show from the bats. <laughs> oh my gosh! Lord have mercy. <laughs> Lord but, have mercy on us. 
There's so many cool ones. You know, Our Lady uh, appeared in Rwanda, Our Lady of uh, Zion, and so Knock. many. But we'll, Yes, Knock. Our Lady yes. of Knock. So we'll talk mm-hmm. about those. I guess before we um, exit this segment, Excellency, just tell, tell me, as Catholics, what are some of the most important things? And I think you already touched on them, but kind of put a bow on it for us. What are some of the most important things that we should take away from these visits of the Blessed Mother? Uh, first fundamental, most important lesson is that Our Lady visits, Our Lady comes, Our Lady teaches to point us to Jesus. She is almost like a sign pointing beyond herself. So that's number one. Our Lady is never meant to be a stumbling block to her son. So that's number one. Number two, it's all about the spiritual life. Don't get caught up in controversies about secrets and miracles. They are important, but they are not as important as the spiritual lessons. And what are they? Prayer, conversion, and repentance. And it is, in many ways, seeking a heart to commit to her son. So if it takes you to see the sun fall out of the sky to commit, Our Lady will grant it. If it takes you to go into the quiet of a large open piazza to see three people praying, she will grant it. If it it takes participation in the candlelight ceremony, so that a woman beginning an odyssey that would ultimately lead to her earthly death can taste ever briefly, the great gift of peace, she will grant it. But it's all, it's all about that commitment to her son. It's true for all of it. Yes, Mm -hmm. great. Okay, so let's take one more break and then we'll answer some questions when we come back. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Welcome back all to Let Me Be Frank. We're here uh, with Bishop Frank Caggiano uh, looking to answer some listener questions. So, Excellency, uh, we got uh, Mm -hmm. uh, an email from Molly from Shelton and oh great yeah and um, usually I'd pick just one question per person but she had um, well so let me tell you so she wrote first off that she she says she wishes uh, she could have she could have unhurried God conversations with you more often or in the past and now she says thank you because this podcast makes it possible to have those conversations with you so she said thank you for that praise Jesus and she wrote in a few questions, and like I said, mm-hmm. usually I'd just pick one, but since she uh, started off by buttering us up, I guess I'll read a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so her Molly's first question is, what is the role of spiritual direction and spiritual directors, and who in the laity should seek spiritual direction? Well, spiritual direction is um, a great tool that is woefully underutilized in the life of the church. It, it, it stems from the basic insight that Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, in part, not only to be an encouragement to one another, but to help guide one another, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
Direction allows a person to assist another person in the discernment of spirits, in coming to understand things about their spiritual life that they themselves may not see on their own, to give them good advice and encouragement, and to pray for one another. So we have the Ignatian Spirituality Center at Fairfield University, where many people are going through a very rigorous program to learn right? What I would consider is the basics of spiritual direction, being able to help direct people. Um, but I would also venture to say that as a parent and a grandparent, you are involved in an informal direction every time you help spiritually guide your children and grandchildren, answer their questions, help them to see what they are blind to, give them encouragement, right? So, Spiritual direction is extremely important. And I would say anyone in ministry really needs to have spiritual direction as part of their life if they're going to be effective. So the second half of the question, who among the laity? Ideally, everyone should have spiritual direction. Everyone who's taking their life of faith seriously. Now, we're far from that, but please, God, will start to make progress in that regard. Mm -hmm. So it's not just something that uh, you get uh, when you're beginning your journey, it should be all throughout, it sounds like. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And it's not just for priests and religious. It's for everyone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Everyone. Great. Uh, and then I'll just add, add a uh, question to hers. Um, what's the best way to go about finding the right spiritual director? Well, uh, I would suggest uh, there's a couple of venues. Uh you can speak to your pastor first. Um, if particularly have a good relationship with your pastor and lay out where it is you find yourself in your spiritual life because he may have recommendations. Hmm. Because to be honest, depending on where you are in your stage of life or what challenges you face could vary who he would recommend. And then of course you could always go to the Ignatian Spirituality Center and visit and have that same sort of kind of initial discussion to see who's available because there are people who are available. Okay, great, thank you. And then so... Oh, may I just say one thing, Steve, forgive me, one last thing about spiritual direction. Your spiritual director is not meant to be your friend. Hmm, okay. Not meant to be your friend. Not your buddy, not your pal. It's someone who's gonna tell you the truth who will get to know you better than you know yourself and tell you the truth. If the spiritual cannot do that, then don't bother. Because yeah. it will not yield the fruit it was meant to yield. Find someone else. That's an okay, important point. Okay, what's the second question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't mean that that spiritual director is wrong for everybody, just wrong based on your relationship with that person. Correct. Yeah, that's Correct. a great point. Okay, so Molly's second question is, what do you visualize in your mind when meditating on a rosary mystery? She says, I have the hardest time meditating on the mystery and praying simultaneously. Yeah, I, I have the same trouble many times. And I pray the rosary differently now, having gone to the Holy Land than before. Because what I do is, for each of the mysteries, I have a line of scripture that I have at this point memorized, that when I introduce the mystery in my mind, or sometimes out loud in the car, 
which makes some very interesting interaction when people drive by. But that's <laughs> and, and then I, I offer the line of scripture out loud. Pause for a few moments. So that's the reflection part. And then when I pray the actual decade, what's in my mind is the image I remember if I visited the sacred space, place of what it looks like. So whether it's below at Cana with the, the one jar that's there from the time of Jesus, that's what images, or being on the boat on the Sea of Galilee for in the Luminous Mystery, or the upper room for Pentecost, um, or Bethlehem. So I keep that image as I pray the actual... So I, I kind of do this a two-step process. Now, you don't have to do that. I find that to be less distracting and focusing my mind because then as you pray the the the, the prayers like the 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 hail marys you do want to pay somewhat attention to what you're saying but they are meant to be the bridge to reflect on the mystery so if you're only paying attention to the prayer and never referring to the mystery then it's not quite achieving what the rosary wants you to do so i try to do it in like two steps okay i hope that's help, helpful mm -hmm. great she has one more question, but because of time, we'll come back to that question um, on another show. Sure. Uh, and if you're out there listening to the Bishop's Voice, you should know that you can ask him a question and uh, you might also have an answer on the air. So just post your questions for Bishop Frank on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Excellency, what an amazing church we have and such Oh gifts from our Lord, mm -hmm. you know, including sending us his mother for guidance and help. Thank you. Thank you for another fantastic week, Bishop Frank. Well, Steve, thank you. And thank you for this opportunity. Really, for me, it's been a tremendous blessing. Um, it, it has helped me to focus some really important time and prayer to what I hope is helpful for the people who are listening, but it's helping me tremendously. So if I may be just a little bit selfish, thank you just for that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks once again also to our sponsors, the Knights of Columbus Museum. Please visit kofcmuseum.org to learn more about their free educational webinars. They're a great option during these times when we're all looking for good online content. And Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Certainly. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you and be merciful to you. And may the Lord in his kindness grant you his peace. And may he bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Steve, great to be with you. See you next week. Thanks, Excellency. See you next week.